0: Let's pray together. Father, we do come before you in these uncertain times. And Lord, sometimes we feel anxious. Sometimes we feel like we don't know where to turn. But Lord, we know we can trust in you. We know that you're there for us. We know that you're all powerful. Lord, we know that you want to bring back victories in our lives. Help us to reach out to you. Help us also to gain strength from our brothers and sisters in times of, of trials and need. Lord, we just want you to bring a rich harvest in our lives. Help us during these uncertain times that you may gain strength and you may gain power over our lives. Christ, Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Exodus chapter 17. That's going to be our text for today. In Exodus chapter 17, we're going to see that uh, an incident takes place as God's people are making their way from Egypt and getting released there to go to the promised land, where something very unexpected pops up. Exodus 17 and verse 1 says this, The whole Israelite community set out for the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded, Remember, they've got the cloud that's leading them during the day and the ball of fire at night if the Lord wants them to travel. And they camped at Rephidim. The only problem is there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Boy, talk about uncertain times. You know, for 400 years, they've been crying out for a Savior, and the Lord finally hears their cry and sends them Moses. And so they gather together all of their belongings. And after the 10 plagues, finally, Pharaoh says, go. And so that's the good news. They're finally released. The bad news is now they have to travel from Egypt all the way up to the promised land, the land promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they've got to travel through the desert, which is, void, uh, just very dicey, especially when you're going by foot. And, and so they know they're not going to make it without food and water. And so the rations that they took with them for food and the canteens full of water start running out. And so the, the chapter before in Exodus chapter 16, God says, well, let's take care of the food thing with the manna and then later quail that was added. But the folks begin saying, all this food is great, but if there's nothing to sustain us and to wash it down with. We've got to have water. We're not going to make it. And so they start grumbling and Boy, the the question they start asking Moses and start asking among themselves in the camp is, are we going in alone? Or is God truly with us? We need something tangible to see. For me, the whole parting in Red Sea, oh yeah, God's with us. But they start wondering, are they going under their own power? Well, little did they know that God strategically Place these artesian wells under the surface all along as almost like way stations to get them from point A to point B. And at just the right moment, God would release the, the, boy, this is where it is. He's going to tell Moses, reveal that there's water in this place. And so these oases pop up out of nowhere that God had planned from the very beginning of time, knowing his people would be making this journey. And, and so that's what, what's happening here. And so God says, Moses, uh, take your staff, go over to the big rock over there, whack it, you know, and all of a sudden water's going to come out. And it did. And in my mind, it's, it's, it's like a fire hydrant that opens up, you know, when the firemen come through and release it for the kids to play in. Well, here's this giant spring coming forth and the people rejoice and they go and they fill up their canteens and kids are, are playing out there. I don't know if they did laundry, you know, who knows? But they, they brought in all their cattle and so they're taken care of with this huge spring That bursts forth. So, this new spring that God brings forth for his people. Well, unfortunately, word gets out on the street. It's not just the Israelites that are interested in this new spring at Rephidim. Exodus chapter 17 and verse 8 says, The Amalekites hear about this and they came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Who are these Amalekites? I mean, it sounds terrible, and we'll give a whole laundry list of all the people that Israel had to fight with, but who are the Amalekites? Well, they're this formidable tribe of nomads that kind of live in the caves, live up in the hills. And so they kind of patrol this area in between Egypt and the promised land. And so they kind of have their, their own herds and different things, but they're waiting for groups to kind of come by and then they ambush them. And so that's what what happens. Genesis chapter 36 tells us these were descendants of Amalek. So they're the grand, who is the grandson of Esau. So they're kind of family, kind of like a long lost cousin, but the cousins no one likes to talk about. So now they're coming in and they're attacking God's own people. The Babylonians called them the Suti, the Egyptians called them the Situ. Both of them, with the rough translation, these are the plunderers. These are the desert pirates that have come and attacked God's people. And everyone knew who the Amalekites were. And so we get a better idea of really what took place in this ambush when God brings it up again to Moses. In Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 17, he's like, Moses, you gotta remember. Remember what the Amalekites did when you're on your way coming out of Egypt. You're not ready for battle. We're just trying to get you from point A to point B. And when you were weary, Moses, when you guys were all worn out, they met you on your journey. Listen to what they did. They attacked all who were lagging behind, and they had no fear of God. So, as the Israelites are making their way up, they're crying for, for water. And, you know, the healthier ones are up towards the, the front and they're going and they're getting all their water. And then here come the stragglers. Maybe it's women and children they are traveling a little slower. Maybe it's the elderly. But they, they've got their luggage and stuff towards the back and they're dragging it through the desert. And they're not quite caught up with the rest. And then here come the Amalekites to pick off the weak and the vulnerable. And it said. They had no fear of God. Who cares if you're God's chosen people? We're still going to go after you. So that's who this group of nomads were. And and Moses grabs Joshua, his number two in command, and says, Really? Get the boys ready. Uh, Tomorrow we ride. And so that's what he he tells them. And so he, he says in Exodus 17, verses 9 through 14, I'm not going to stand for these thugs going after God's people. Choose some of our men and go out and fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow, I'm going to stand up on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. I always wonder if Joshua is like going, uh, okay, I've got an extra sword. Why don't you come down and join the battle with me? You're going to be up on a hill? Yeah, I'm going to be up there with the staff. Okay, all right, so Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur, there's three of them, went up on top of the hill where they could see all this going on. And as long as Moses held up his hands, where the Israelites are winning, so he's got his staff up there. (laughs) If you've ever held something over your hand for a long time, you start getting, oh, it starts getting heavy. And whenever he started lowering hands, well, then the Amalekites started winning. So they're like, come on, Moses, get it back up. So Moses' hands grew tired. And, and then they said, well, let's get him a stone and put it under him. They're, Sit down, but keep those arms up. And then Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady all the way to sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite armies with the sword. Then listen to this. The Lord said to Moses, oh, don't let this one get by. Don't let it go. Boy, write down on a scroll that this is something to be remembered. This isn't just a one-off battle. This was a special time. Write it down so we don't forget it. And make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. As we look at this story, we need to realize this is not just a physical battle. It's also a spiritual battle. There's a force from the Lord that is making its way into an area that's been godless for generations. And the Amalekites are top of the hill, They're the ones setting the tone for the other people groups that God's people will have to encounter. And so you've got this forces of evil that's been in the area and is controlling what it feels like to be people in this area. And and so all this is happening and suddenly God has been waiting for 400 years. And now it's time to come reclaim the area, to stake it out and say, this is now going to be ruled by Jehovah, and the Lord God Almighty is moving in. And so this is the first wave of resistance. And it's not just a physical battle for plunder or who gets to water cattle here. This is about the forces of good versus the forces of evil. And God says, let's go to war. This is important that we realize this. So as we face uncertain times of all the things going on. We need to realize that if you feel like you're under attack, there's also a spiritual war that's being waged. And I tell you, someone taught me early on in my ministry that dogs don't bark at parked cars. It's when we take steps forward, as we talked about in this series, during uncertain times, God can make up a lot of ground. When we start taking steps of faith and start refocusing as a people, as a church, and as families, that's when Satan takes notice and goes, oh, this force of good is now showing up more in your life. I'm going to oppose that. So prepare yourself, church that when we take steps forward, Satan's gonna do everything he can to counterbalance that in our lives. So what what do we need to glean from the story? Number one is we gotta be ready to engage in the battle, engage in the fight and be ready to go. You know, in Numbers chapter 24, Balaam starts talking and he talks about the Amalekites are the first among the nations. Now, scholars are kind of divided. Does that mean they were the first group to attack the Israelites? Or they're number one on the list? God says, this group needs to be completely wiped out because of the threat they pose to my people. And so, man, the Amalekites that escaped this battle this day are gonna be a thorn in the flesh of God's people for generations. This was the group that... Saul was sent out King Saul the first king over Israel go out and take out the amalekites they're still a thorn in my heel boy they are causing trouble among God's people we see them all throughout scripture kind of pop up you know they're coming in and they're they're doing raids and they're taking cattle off they're burning villages they're they're kidnapping women and children, including two of King David's wives and, and, and children. So you're like, why are these people still around? And they keep going and they keep going. If you remember the, the story of Esther, you've got Haman, who is the number two in charge of all the country, and he's wanting to wipe out the Jews. He's a descendant of Agag, who was part of this Amalekite group. And so it's a constant force that's materialized in this group of people that God says they've got to be dealt with. And we've got to deal with the spiritual battles that, we're, that are being raged around us. We can't just sit back and passively just say, well, man, I hope this gets better. Boy, let's identify it for what it is. It's a spiritual battle. And God says, I want you to engage In that battle, don't sit back and hope it gets better. Realize what's going on and let's go to town. Number two, if we're going to go to battle, then we've got to enlist God's power. Boy, this is tough because sometimes we feel like we're strong. We feel like we got this. But in reality, Satan starts winning because there are certain areas where we are strong in our life. And we've got a fortress that's built up, and we feel like God is working here. But there's a part over here where it's kind of crumbling, or it's a little lower. And Satan's like, oh, okay, you're good over here. Let me hop in on this part of your family. Let me go after this part where you're vulnerable. Church, have you been there? Raise your hands if you feel like that you're strong in one area, but Satan's making some inroads in another area. And sometimes you don't even see it. It's a temptation that you felt like, man, I dealt with that when I was in college, and then it creeps right back up, and you're like, where's this coming from? Well, it's you're making progress in one area, and Satan's like, okay, I'm going to walk around the other side over here. You've been neglecting this area of your life. And so we've got to enlist God's power because his actions during the fight not only helped the Israelites, defeat the enemy, they also illustrate a healthy way to acknowledge our limitations in uncertain situations. So what Moses does is he raises his hand and he has this big staff up here. Well, is this the proper way to go into battle? Going, all right, bring it on. No, you're vulnerable. God says, yeah, that's what I want. I want you to vulnerably put yourself before me and say, God, I've got to have you. I'm willing to go to battle, but I've got to realize it's not going to be under my strength. It's not me grabbing my sword going in there alone. I'm raising my hands. Not that I'm surrendering. I'm raising my hands saying, I've got to have your help. And so we see Moses doing this at this point of attack, and he's got his his, his arms up and he's saying, God, if this victory that we see below us is gonna happen, it's gonna be because this power that comes from you. And so we're symbolically putting this and we're showing our limitations by doing this. As long as Moses held his staff up above his head, the Israelites were winning. As Soon as he lowered it, they began to lose. And so by lifting his staff, Moses is showing the entire nation, this is the source of our help. This is the source of our winning that's going to take place. So when we find ourselves in the midst of a battle, instead of going before God when we've exhausted every other means, what if our first reaction is, God, I need help right now. I feel like we're going under something, and I feel like there's a force that's greater than me, so I need to enlist the power of someone that's greater than the one in this world. And God says, that's me, yeah. This is bigger than me, but you're bigger than that. Come help. That's what Moses was doing in this, so we've got to do this. You know, it's interesting, in Exodus chapter two, when Moses is out there tending the cattle. Remember, he grew up as a prince in Egypt, and he kills one of the Egyptians, and he has to flee for 40 years. He's out there, and he sees the burning bush. In Exodus 2, he walks up with a simple piece of wood. In Exodus chapter 3, that staff turns into a lightning rod of the Heavenly Father. He takes his simple piece of wood and goes... And he strikes the Nile, turns to blood. He waves it in the air. Here come flies and gnats and frogs. Or is it gnats? I don't know. And so they're all of the, the different things start happening. And it's because he's waving this wand. He's waving this rod, this lightning rod of, of God's power before him. They go heading out into the desert. And they stand. Oh, no. Here come the Egyptians. Were pinned in by the Red Sea. Holds it up. That's incredible. Even after Moses was gone, they took his staff that had power and they placed it, you know, an Ark of the Covenant and they opened it up one day. Wow, it's blooming. Because there's life and there's power, life and power that we can't understand and comprehend. But we know God says, I want to take your normal existence and I want to provide power for you. But church, we don't hold up Moses' staff. What do we hold up? It's the cross of Christ. That's our source of power. That's our source of strength as we hold it up and say, we have the cross of Christ. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 18. He says, for the message of the cross is foolish to people that don't get it. For those who are perishing. to us brothers and sisters who have united ourselves in jesus who are being saved it's the power of god do you feel like when you're under attack you have the power of the cross behind you paul says we do if we unite ourselves with jesus christ We walk out onto that battlefield, not vulnerable, but invincible because the power of God through the cross of Jesus Christ unites us with our heavenly father who's greater than anyone else in this world. So we've got to enlist God's power. This other one is going to be tough for some folks, but number three, we need to solicit godly support. Solicit godly support. You know, when the Israelites were out, fought the Amalekites. you know, when Moses started doing, you know, he just starts getting a little tired. What does he do? He turns for support from his brother and from his good friend Hur and said, you guys got to help me out. I, I'm, I know the source of power, but I'm still a weak vessel. You know, help me out here to accomplish God's divine plan in my life. And so, boy, it revealed his limitations. And so, Moses wasn't created to endure this moment alone. But church, neither are you and I. I think sometimes when we've been Christians for a long time and we feel like that we know some things, we feel like we've got some stuff and we're no longer making some of the mistakes we did in our younger years, but we still go through hard times and we feel like I should have a better control on this. This shouldn't be bothering me. I shouldn't feel this weak. And, and we feel like, uh, I, I'm just gonna kind of lose this battle for a little bit instead of asking brothers and sisters saying, can you get this sign? Thank you. Can you get this? Yeah, okay. Lord, let your power reign through again instead of just going it alone. Why do we feel that way? Why do we feel like it's embarrassing that I'm struggling, but I need brothers and sisters to surround me and to lift those arms up? And I have to tell you, in in times like this, that we need to realize that our calling as brothers and sisters is to do that. But if you're like me, you'd much rather be the person who's like, yep, I got your right arm. Yep, I'm going to do this one. And and we like being the supporter. What we don't like is switching roles, right? So we don't like to, well, I'm usually the one that's supporting, that's encouraging, that's offering wise counsel, that's cooking meals, that's doing nice things, that's serving. Yeah, okay, what about your season when it's your turn and your arms are, are drooping? Is it pride that's keeping you from saying, I need some help over here? And when people offer, like, no, I got it. But really, you don't. Don't let pride keep you from the help that God is supplying you for the journey, church. We've got to have it. Conversely, uh, we, we got some folks that their arms have been held up for a long time. They're like, I'm liking this. But there are times and seasons where you need to say, okay, I'm good. I've had a lot of support for a long time. Maybe it's my turn to, to pitch in and I'm going to provide some some counsel, some love, some meals, and some encouragement. How can I support other people as I've been supported? It's a give and take. But we've got to realize the component that we have as a body of Christ. That we're a family. We're here together. And there's a reason why God put us in community. It's not just a one-off thing between us and God. There's a spiritual component. And we've got to, we've got to solicit that godly support. So number four, we need to realize that we're called to share the victory. And this is important that we do this. Because we fight things all the time, and we need to not only acknowledge, hey, God, you got me through this. I held my arms up, I had brothers and sisters helping me, and I've now overcome where Satan was coming after us. We've got to give testimonials, we've got to give stories and say, you know what? I went through this. I've been through the valley where you are now. Let me tell you about God's deliverance. Because I didn't think there was any hope for life for, for my life. If you knew my story, you'd know there's hope for you as well. We've got to share the victory. See the, the final instructions that God gave to Moses is you need to go and write this stuff down. You you need to go record what happened. For who? For Joshua. Joshua's down in the trenches. He's down in the valley. He's wielding a, a sword. All he knows is there are times when they were doing well, times when they were struggling, times they were doing well, and, and times where they were losing and then gaining. And, and finally, God brought about ultimate uh, victory. He doesn't know about any of this stuff. and not, He doesn't know any of that. But there's going to come a time when Joshua is not just going to be the military commander. He's going to be the spiritual leader of all of Israel, God's people. He needs to realize where the power came from for that victory because there will be other wars to be waged. There will be other trials that he's going to have to lead Israel through. He's got to realize the source of what's happening. And so, boy, if you're feeling that role right now within your, uh, your relationship with your spouse or your family or even the church family or at work, that you see yourself as a spiritual intercessor on behalf of folks, you need to share where God is bringing about victory as, as it relates to your intercessory prayer and what you've been doing on behalf of others. Share what God is up to because there will come a season when someone else will have to provide that. I have to tell you, one of the most encouraging things is when uh, myself or, or other staff members or our shepherds get little notes or emails or phone calls to say, I don't know why, God just told me to pray for you today. I'm like, you have no idea how much that means to me. You have no idea what I'm in the midst of, and God asks you to intercede because I need my staff to go back up. We've got to have spiritual warriors. We've got to have prayer vigilantes that are saying, we're going to intercede in the way that we know how. I may not be able to do this, but I can do this, but we've got to have that. And then share those stories. You know three weeks ago we took our son uh, Colby out to get him situated at A&M and then the following weekend we flew out with our daughter Maggie to get her situated in Nashville for another semester at Lipscomb and unlike Colby's uh, little apartment that was was furnished uh, Maggie's was an unfurnished duplex and so we had to get everything you know to get her and a roommate up going and So you know how it is. You kind of piecemeal together some stuff that uh, would just get you by on Facebook Marketplace. And so we're, we're trying to do this and getting stuff all over town and stuff. And it was made complicated or more complicated by torrential rainstorms. Everywhere we went, we're just getting soaked. And so day one, we didn't really get as much accomplished as what we were hoping to. And so I looked at the little weather app that night. And it said, 90% rain chances tomorrow. I thought, well, round two, I guess Maggie will have to figure it out on her own. We'll get as much done as we can. Well, the next day, you know, you see, you see cartoons where you've got the character that uh, you know, has the, the cloud of rain that's just following them around. It was like the exact opposite for us. We had this ray of sunshine that was going with us. And we could see miles away, You know, rain over here, rain over there. And there was, sometimes we'd drive down a road and there, you could see rain up in front of us. You'd see where rain had just come through and the, it was all wet. And so Maggie's like, I can't believe it. We have had sunshine all day. And Jill's like, well, I prayed for it last night. I just said, God, we've got too much to do with all this rain. Can you please move it away? And so I thought, how awesome is that? Now, I don't want to give you the impression that Jill has control of the weather because a- as a teacher in April, she prays for snow so she didn't have to go to school, and that doesn't happen. But yet, for Jill to come forward and just say, I realize we've got a physical problem that we're trying to deal, and I'm going to use a spiritual means to say, God, this is important. You say, you go, grant the desires of our hearts. I just got to tell you, it'd be a lot easier. And so Jill's just back there smiling the whole time where we're marveling that there's rain all around us, but not where we are. So we've got to share those stories. And I would encourage, especially our older folks in the congregation, you've got some mild marker stories along your journey, along that highway. And you can say, you know, 496, let me tell you what happened at that mile marker in my life where God interceded. Because younger people that can't see what's going to happen around the next corner, you know, allow what God has done in your life to make a difference in others. Share those stories. Share those victories. I encourage us to do that. So as we kind of wrap up this whole series, I, I really want to encourage you that during uncertain times where we're feeling anxious and we're feeling like, I don't know how much longer this is gonna go on, uh, you know, stuff in the streets and, and, and stuff at the, you know, in, in elections, and boy, and this virus, and going back to school and work, and we're, we just wanna know what our new reality is, and we just don't know. It's still uncertain. I pray that you can allow this time for God to make a difference and if this church can help you in any way, in just a moment, we're going to have up in the chat box a place for you to go and click on it and say, I, I need prayers. That will immediately go to our staff and we'll we'll, we'll get in touch with you or, or just lift up a prayer on your behalf. If you need wise counsel, we'll get you in, in touch with either a staff member or one of our shepherds. If, you want, if you're finally at a point where you're like, okay, God, I've got to come to you. I've got to put my my life in with you. Well, we'd love to sit down and study and see what it means to come to Jesus and put him on in baptism to start a new way. You know, maybe God's been chipping at you for a long time saying, I've got to make a decision. Well, do that now because we want during this uncertain time for you to feel the certainty of God's love and God's promises. And if we can help you in any way, either here in person or online, Please don't hesitate. Let us bring your uncertainty before our certain God. If we can help you, come now to stand as we sing.